Hey, everybody, real quick announcement before we get started. We have a special promotion from our affiliate book of the month club, Young Adult, through to the end of September. What do we got? If you go into our show notes and you click the link, you can get another $5 off of your book of the month box. That means you'll get it for just $5. You have to use the code YALIT, that stands for Young Adult Lit, YALIT. And you can get your first box for just $5. Young adult books straight to your door. If you've been waiting on it, now's the time. This is a great promotion. Yeah, an extra five bucks off. Only $5, but you got to click on the link and then YA lit. So check it all out in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening every week and supporting the show. On to the new episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's another episode of Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a large book this week. Good Lord. I watched a movie just last night. Wonderful. This week, we are doing The Goldfinch. Okay. Maybe right off the bat, should we say we almost didn't do this? Yeah, so this was given to us as a suggestion. We asked for suggestions on our previous episode. We're always looking for ideas. We saw, we knew the movie was coming out, but we kind of were glazing over it. And then we saw the initial reviews and we went, hmm, maybe pass. Yeah. And then I got a message from Eliza on Instagram and she said, yo, I love the goldfinch. You guys should check it out. You should do a thing. And we were like, well, we we almost weren't going to. And here we are. And yeah, so we gave it a second it. glance. And then we were like, well, the first, the ini- I guess the initial thought was like, maybe the movie's so bad. That's an interesting thing to talk about is like, yeah. where did that go wrong? But I think the conversation is steered in a different direction. Um, so we'll get into that later. Yeah. But the book, for those that don't know, is published in 2013. It was on Amazon's 2013 Best Book of the Year list was on the New York Times bestsellers list for over 30 weeks. And then the next year it won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Good and Lord. they just came out with the movie oh, last week, I think it was. Yes, and yes. And it has unanimously been destroyed by everyone. Oh, it it was a, a slaughter. And I this mean, is an why we didn't slaughter. want to do it because we're not, we're, we're optimistic. We believe in people. So we're not going to do something that if it's like. The air around it was as if the movie had been abandoned almost that as if that the final product was so far beyond anything even palatable don't see it avoid it at all costs that was that was the perception that's what i was hearing basically and went ooh okay and just kind of threw it out i went i like the trailer but okay you know i guess and so we get the suggestion we're looking at it i saw it last night it's fine yeah I do not understand the reaction to this film. It's not particularly good in any facet, but I can't find a major flaw, one particular thing yeah. that destroys it, that that totally handicaps it. I, I I think the point here is that it was ambitious to try to do this. Yeah, because this is an 800-page book, and we'll get into some of the stuff about the book, and then... You can talk to what the movie does, like you said. And I'm interested to hear yeah. of what is the, the what what happens in the book that uh, that maybe people are, are dissatisfied with that doesn't take place or is yeah. changed in the film. Yeah, just for those that don't know, because maybe you've seen the cover. It's a white cover. It's a painting of a bird, and it's this huge epic. It starts as his kid's whole life. His mom dies tragically through a terrorist act that has nothing to do with her at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And he becomes orphaned and he flounders through life and his deadbeat dad picks him up again and they go to Vegas where he lives 
And then he leaves that situation, goes back to New York, works for this antiques dealer, et cetera, et cetera, gets caught up in drugs, crazy people, the whole throughout all of this into his adulthood. The Goldfinch is this painting that this old guy pointed to that he thought had some significance. So he stole it as a kid and is traveling along with him through all these journeys and becomes the ultimate moment in the story. Yeah, it's this huge grand story spanning decades I mean, it and spans, people. And it spans the whole, it spans somebody's life and, and, and the revelations that happen after, after such a cataclysmic event. And how do you um, live life? And what is a life good life? And who do you trust? And what is art? And what is love? And yeah, tons I mean, it's and tons such, of stuff. Yeah, the the themes are so broad here, and it, and it goes over such an amount of time. You cover so many relationships. I mean, I, I this is it's it's a lot of feeling. I I see that in terms of a disaster, the only person that should be looking at this is like, man, this is a disaster. Or like the producers and the directors and the filmmakers. Because based on the rap sheet here, this should be a Best Picture nominee. Mm-hmm. And, and based on, I mean, you look down the line. It's 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 incredible. And the maybe that's made why the people. It's because the expectation of the expectation it. is so great. Um, but but it's fine. <laughs> but it's fine. But it's fine. But but yeah, it it should only be uh, the the filmmakers that feel like that this is a disaster. I mean, it's just it's just ultimately not going to be nominated for any Oscars mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it is it is not a some sort of you know bond bailed movie mm-hmm. that that just kind of got sh- packaged and shipped through the process. Yeah. It's like yeah. no, they put a lot of time into it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, Donna Tart, who's the author, is known for putting a lot of time into her things. So she's only <laughs> ever written three books. Each of them took ten plus. Average years to write. Good lord, she says she probably has another two in her in her life before she dies. You know what I mean? Like, okay, she's like, if I can write five books, but that's her thing. But anyway, so as far as the book and what it provides, and the biggest thing that it has been compared to, and the adjective that is used is Dickensian, which is in relation to Charles Dickens. That's a big man. That's a big shoe to fill. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but she says that he was a big influence and she's very literary and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that's part of the reason in Eliza's message that she wrote to us on Instagram was about how the way that this book is written, the beauty of the language, mm-hmm. that is a lot of what it's praised for. But that's not the only thing that makes something Dickensian. So I looked up a little bit about this. A lot of the times it's the theme. So Dickens is obsessed with orphans, the critique the, of, the, okay. of the class system. He's big on tragedy, a story okay. told over many years. Okay. Lots of different coincidental elements, characters that do something here and then reoccur way later, which is, you know, Theo, the main character in Goldfinch's best friend. <laughs> the Kenzian. Yeah. And of course, lastly, the length. This is, you know, giant books. Uh, now you're just showing off. Yeah. So Theo, this whole thing is an obvious homage to David Copperfield, which is about an orphan kid. And then in one of the characters' names is Pippa, and the main dude in Great Expectations is named Pip. Uh, but good. the differences between this is that the language I found is much easier to get into, and that's what mm. she's praised for, mm. as opposed to it being Victorian England over the top hoity toity language. Yeah. It is still very dense and very literary, yeah. but it is quite easy to go through. And I was listening to an interview that she did, and she was saying she wanted her type of writing to be dense but fast meaning there's a lot into it. You're building all these sensory images. You're having all the great metaphor and all that stuff, but it moves. Yeah. And I definitely felt that. Hmm. I would not recommend what I did, which is read it in a week, 
I would <laughs> recommend <laughs> reading it over mm-hmm. a summer or over a month or something like that. And I listened to quite a bit of the audio book for it as well. And I highly recommend that because of all the different voices and it feels much where you're not getting stuck on the words. You're just listening right. to somebody say it all out. And that, and that worked out really well. The other thing that is different between this and a Dickens thing is the ending where she leaves it in the book more open-ended, more loose. He's reflecting on, on what's happened. Not every character is neatly tied up or figured out or understood. And not every situation that he got himself into right. or circumstantially happened to him is quite made sense of. Right. And maybe that is something that is just catered more to a modern audience, but I think it works pretty well. I wasn't like, wow, this is stupid at the end of the book. Right. I don't know what how how you feel about those kind of things in relation to the movie. I know that the as far as like the Charles Dickensian type of stuff, it is a long thing spanning somebody's life. It's very chronological. Yeah. It's here to here to here to here to here. And so you get a sense of the spanning of time. And I believe the movie does not do that at all. And that was a criticism of the way that it was structured. Well, I think the boy that plays the main character, younger Oaks, uh, Vaguely, he plays young Theo. Mm-hmm. He has the best performance in the film. And I think through the post-process, they realized this and wanted to lean into that as much as possible. Mm. So I think, you think they maybe start out. Cut up later. They, they frame it uh, with Amsterdam. Um, and that's how the book is framed as well. Um, they try to thread the line on both. And, and they, it wants you to feel like it's cutting back and forth, but ultimately it, it is kind of going chronologically, but the tone of it is so meditative. I mean, there's whole segments that, are, you know, there'll be there'll be the 30 seconds where it's just letting you feel what's going on, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the, the criticisms, too, is it's two and a half hours. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, it's 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 definitely, I think ultimately the book is so much Perhaps John Crowley, the director, never really boiled it down. Maybe the filmmakers never actually boiled it down on, on things they could focus on, trying to do it all. I mean, it's, you want to do yeah, it just Or one of the themes. What does art mean to somebody? Or right. what is that? What is, how does love or how does trauma, you know? And so that yeah. creates a really hard that, – that's a really hard situation in which you, the filmmakers don't commit to mm-hmm. one thing being the point. Or, or you know, this is, this is going to get you across the finish line emotionally. Yeah. Um, so I think in that in that terms, it's messy. Yeah. But that that is the the culprit on on many films that we're not <laughs> covering here, and nobody's talking about on on Rotten Tomatoes as if it was a steaming pile of garbage. Right. <laughs> you know. I, it is interesting that we talked about. I thought about this as I was researching more how we did it last week and how that book is scattered and all over the place and flashbacks inside flashbacks mm, and tons of mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. stuff. It still spans many many years, but what they did with it is they flipped it. And they told the story completely chronologically, yeah. <laughs> one half being the kids, one half being the adults, straight through. Yeah. And that's not how the book is constructed. And the book is massive. And with this, the book is massive, and it just goes straight through, except for, like we said, in Amsterdam, what we're referring to is the what happens at the very, very end is him recounting kind of to himself, mm-hmm. like, I got myself in this space. Oh, no, this is what happened all through my life. And then it's the bookend, pretty classic for a story like this. And then he gets out of it, and then that's the beginning and end kind of thing. But they did not do that in the movie, and it's interspersed his kid life and his adult life and all elements in between. Yeah, yeah, they, yes. 
They want to go back as much as they can, as much as it mm-hmm. makes sense. And that helps with trying to bridge the thematic element there of, of what's going on meditatively in his head. Um, mm-hmm. That's where they're trying to get that stuff in. It just never quite is enough. Yeah. Ultimately. But and, I mean, yeah. yeah. And also like for the book, it wasn't quite enough for people, even though it was a major bestseller. And like I said, on New York Times bestsellers for 30 weeks and won the Pulitzer Prize the next year. Somebody from the New Yorker said the tone, language, and story belong in children's literature. Like I said, because it's touted as this literary masterpiece, but yeah. it's pretty accessible for the most part. And then uh, the Paris Review said a book like The Goldfinch doesn't undo any cliches it deals in them because hmm. it's presenting a lot of material that has been talked about before mm-hmm. or you know, like we said, trauma and art and love and these kind of things. Somebody that was a big proponent of it, though, was Stephen King. He loved it. She said, Donna Tart is an amazingly good writer. She's dense. She's elusive. She's a gorgeous storyteller. His problem with her, though, which I thought was funny, was her productivity. Because he says, but three books oh, in 30 years. Oh, he's shade? What? <laughs> because he said he may, he's written 60 whatever million. You know, he's got so much. He's like, that's what makes Sorry, me. Sorry, Stephen, we can't all be you. Yeah. He thinks everybody can. That's why he's the main character of every one of his books. <laughs> yeah. God um, love him. But the, as far as the, the, the movie, like we were saying, this, this book took 10 plus years to make. They did put in quite a bit of effort into the movie itself. I saw they – because the, the scene that takes place that starts the whole thing off that gives him this great trauma and propels him into orphanhood and all of that is his mom dying in this explosion at the museum. And they recreated all the paintings, which is wild. <laughs> That's insane. You know? They they rebuilt, they made an entire replica, well, maybe not an entire, but where the scenes were taking at, at a warehouse in Yonkers of mm-hmm. the Met because they wouldn't let them film in there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like oh, you said- you won't let us set off a fake bomb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the people, all the, uh, the all-star cast and then Roger Deakins who won the Oscar for cinematography for Blade Runner, you know, he was the guy on this. It was like, they, that was- the expectation. Yeah, massive. This should, I mean, it should be. It, mm-hmm. it should have been on everybody's list for best pictures. So I, I, I think that is, the pullback on it has been too much. Mm-hmm. It's not fair, I think. Yeah. It, because at this point, I think it's turning away people even to the book. I watched mm-hmm. the Collider interview, which I don't recommend. Um, I watched the Collider interview and and they were saying that they were in the middle of reading the book, then went to see the film. And then that made them decide to not return to the book, which I, I thought was horrible in, in a couple different ways. But uh, yeah. but I think ultimately that is so unfair to the, the source material. Yeah. And it's like it was mega popular in 2013. It was a huge rarity for it to win the Pulitzer Prize after becoming a bestseller. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's right. a no-name book that's really artsy and literary and nobody gives a crap. And then it wins an award and everybody's like, oh, that thing's good. We got to check it out. Yeah. It was already good, already really successful, and then won the thing. My God. Yeah. Um, so just really quickly, I came up with kind of four things, four critiques that if you, you if you do happen to watch a Collider interview or things like that, why – People might say, oh, this was really hard to adapt. And I'm going to refute the last one with something which I don't think other people are talking about. Let's hear but it. The, the, the first thing would be the rhythm. And we talked a little bit about how it's scattered versus a big long thing. But specifically, 
in the book, there are long stretches followed by really crazy action, oh, okay. you know, and it's, it's designed to be this up and down. And I was listening in an interview with, with Donna Tart where she was saying, if I know what's going to happen next, then of course the audience is going to know what happens next in my books and it's going to be boring. She's like, I want to put you on a roller coaster, but I want it to go off the rails and I want you to be off into the forest and down into a gully and not know how to get back. She's like, that's where I <laughs> that's want you good, to be. That's good, man. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so people might criticize certain elements of that. Specifically, the thing that you'll hear the most is the Las Vegas section where his dad mm -hmm. picks him up because he's been living with this affluent family and then takes him off to Las Vegas. And you realize, oh, he's just trying to use him to get yeah. his trust fund money from the accent, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That whole section, people feel like it's slow. And it's like, well, it's designed to be slow and it's claustrophobic because he's just trapped in this one house in it's Las Vegas. It's not supposed to feel good. There's nothing about it that's supposed to feel good. Ultimately, yeah. you're not supposed to have a good time at this movie. You're supposed yeah. to be really thinking about some, you know, loss and yeah. what happens. <laughs> and then the he escapes. And, yeah. And then he escapes and goes on a road trip all the way back to New York. And it's like, well, that's exciting. And then he gets caught up in, you know, and then years pass and you're like, it's this whole thing. But that is very, very hard to do without getting the passage of time. And like I said, not do what I do, which is read it in a short span of time, like read it in a long time and build it up. Because there was a certain moment that I thought that would have hit me harder. He goes back to his childhood apartment after dealing with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's going to go talk to the doorman that he and his mom knew or just even see like what the apartment is like. Yeah. And the whole building is boarded up and it's going to be torn down. Oh, and It's like because you hadn't heard about that for the past 350 pages – then when he – it's like you feel that too because you're like, oh, yeah, I oh, remember all that. Yeah. And because she delves into, the, like they said, the density of the descriptions and details, it's like, oh, yeah, you want to see what that's going to be. Yeah. And it hits you. But it's hard to do that in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. It's hard to have long periods of slog with rapid action and just the weight of time. The it's hard to decide time. what is important. And ultimately in an 800-page book, not everything can go in the film and not everybody's favorite part. Or not everybody's mm -hmm. thing that really connected with them is going to make it into the movie. Yeah. That it's, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's not like, I, I don't think this is for a lack of trying on the filmmakers part. Mm -hmm. There's, no, there's no element yeah. here where I feel like they didn't care about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they didn't bring their A game. Like, oh, and also I found our, our like last week we did the, uh, we did film, a Finn Wolfhard, uh, yeah. Finn Wolf, uh, yeah, Wolfhard plays yeah. Uh, young Boris, but he's also yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, um, he's blowing up. Yeah, and strangely enough, a uh, the uh, the subverted uh, homosexual thread there. Oh, um, is is present as well. Yeah, yeah. How, I thought that to just to be randomly interesting. Um, <laughs> These repeating uh, themes. Something that people, another thing, like it's like like you said, it's no fault of the filmmakers of for lack of trying. But right. it is unfortunate that's like that is a crucial element of what makes the book good. And if you can't replicate that in the film, kind of like what we talked about with Watchmen, like what makes it unadaptable and how do you retain the source? It's like that is a crucial element of the book. Right. It's 800 pages. Yeah. It's somebody's whole life. If you don't have that, it's hard to – it's like you want to keep yeah. that element. Yeah. So another thing is the internal monologue of the main character. It's all written in the first person. I find this to be a classic book to movie problem. Where he's, oh, when he's saying one thing, he's usually thinking something much different. And that loss of all that subtext. I thought I, that was, I mean, then that was such a, I mean, I'm just thinking on not general audience mm -hmm. point of view. I'm, I'm thinking as a filmmaker and as a storyteller and as, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, when the film opens and then closes with this the voiceover, I'm going, man, your images do this better. Mm -hmm. Stop. Please stop. You do not stop right now. Um mm -hmm. 
But again, like it does, it's not just like outright horrid. <laughs> but so yeah. that seems like such a be- besides the point to me. It's like, is that what people are upset about? You know, like I, I, I can't find what is it that made that that made mm-hmm. you so upset about this movie. Yeah, it's it's hard. The, the, another, but yeah, thing, a, cla- yeah. a classic book to uh, book to film adaptation problem is is this is the voiceover thing because it it is really tricky. Sometimes it can add a lot, but sometimes it can really take away. I think in this case, it took away. Mm-hmm. The, the third thing is. I think the multiple symbols for the painting, the goldfinch, what the thing is all about, and mm-hmm. kind of tying into all the different themes that we discussed and what the totality of a person's life and their understanding of it is. It's the novel's namesake. It's the Dutch painting. It's the emotional anchor for his mother. It's a way for people to discuss art. It's a symbol of New York City and modern tragedy and trauma. And it's him, you know, at a certain point, he's he's coveting this thing, but then he doesn't even open it up. He's He's got it covered up. Turns out, and this is, and I mean, this is a spoiler, kind of in the in the story, but like Boris mm-hmm. ends up being, the, yeah, <laughs> Boris ends up being the one having it. So for a certain point, he's not even actually having the real thing, but it doesn't matter because he's got the thing with him that he thinks is the painting. And for all that time in the story, after you figure that out, you're like, well, then how did it get him through the time? It's like almost like a placebo, but you know, it represents right. something else. And so there's all these different things that the painting encompasses. It also ends up being his salvation at the end. You know how he's able to get through things. What absolves him of his problems but then also gives him a meaning in life to atone for the bad things he did do stems from this painting as well but it was at the start and who knows why the old guy i never really maybe i'm dense and you know somebody tell me there is a reason for this but why the old guy that was dying in the explosion pointed that maybe it was pointing to something else entirely it's like was the whole thing arbitrarily designed to begin with Mm -hmm. all of that symbolism from what i understand is difficult to do you know, and and present all those different facets of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know. And I don't know if you got any of that or all of that stuff with the goldfinch or even what is on the painting itself is this bird chained to a, you know, cha- its its leg is chained to a thing. It's like that is also a symbol. There's so much symbolism right. here. I don't know that I got a clear enough, long enough look to see <laughs> that kind of detail in it. But yeah. I, I think it's you're obviously thinking about it as a device. What does it mean to him? And you th- and you start thinking about it. What, what if you're relating to what he's going through, the loss and and mm-hmm. relationships and the, the the hardship that he's going through. If you're relating to that, uh, you're also thinking, what was your thing that gave you peace? Yeah. What was it? What was the thing that you that you had to hold? Um that that's kind of where I had my mind being led to. Um so that was the most immediate thing. So that did come or across. Or a memory I mean, that you don't want to let go of. Exactly. And and but and having some sort of physical tome for it. Mm-hmm. The idea that it, I I I totally connected with it. That stuff yeah. is I mean it's I think we're discounting the fact that the story is interesting and and is well yeah. written and fr- and and zigs when it should zag. Ultimately, and, yeah, it is there on the screen. I mean, like, I mean, Anselgar in the <laughs> fetal position, hugging this thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many shots of it I have to get to, and then realize <laughs> it was never even there to be. Oh, we're put. It's all about where you invest. Yeah, yeah. Your energy. It's a. It's a. What is it that gets you through the day? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the ultimate realization that the power is in your mind uh, to what how you feel about these things. Yeah. Um, the painting was never there. You know, not the never there, but, but he didn't yeah. even know when it switched because it didn't matter. Yeah. 
it ultimately did not matter. Yeah. But yeah, as far as like all of that being encompassed in a film that's trying to deal with so many things, I think a lot of people felt that that was missing from mm -hmm. it or where a lot of people got the story is the title of the thing, the goldfinch, what's mm -hmm. the painting about? And if that's not the through line for the whole story mm -hmm. and it's just used might be a little confusing. Well, I mean, ultimately I think you, it's, it's presented in a way that you should just be thinking about it. And yeah. if you're not thinking, why is this the title of the film? You know, that, yeah, like yeah. That, you, ha you know, like it, it, once you start that, why is this the title of the film? And then you just see it in, in these few scenes here and there. And then you know, it becomes a MacGuffin. And, mm -hmm. You know, like you, you will start. That's the beginning of that. So, I yeah. mean, like, I I don't know. I Maybe not as big I of a deal. Know. But I still, mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I ult I, I th I, when I go beyond the device, I started thinking more about the uh, the reflections in tragedy and 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 mm -hmm. this being a piece of media post 9-11 that is really discussing the how we mourn and grieve and get through these types of traumas mm -hmm. um so i was trying to see if there was more in the goldfinch painting that as a device for the morning i'm not sure that there is but that that was the second step for me is thinking well what else is the goldfinch and what could that mm -hmm. mean is, is it our guilt over 9 11 you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. uh you know like just all all of all of that all mm -hmm. the flavor there um yeah and so that's what people like in the book and the, the last thing that i saw that is difficult to adapt we've talked about it already is the length of the thing massive book although i found something very interesting that i would like to compare it to and just, I didn't know anything about the Pulitzer Prize either. So I just did some research on mm -hmm, this kind of mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was fascinating. And I don't think you'll, you'll necessarily find this anywhere else. Because what this thing was known for. We got the, the exclusive. We got the exclusive. The movie, The Goldfinch, made $800,000 on a 50 plus million dollar budget in the first day. Right. Mm. Just like notoriously horrible. Good Lord. They like lost massive amounts. On 2,500 screens. Yeah. It was like a, 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 a national release. Insane. Adjusting for inflation, the most successful film in box office history was also a Pulitzer Prize winner, <laughs> which has a very similar track once I started looking into it as The Goldfinch. So I'm talking about Gone with the Wind, which was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Before that, it was critically successful. Adjusted for inflation, it made $3,700,000,000. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That... Uh, in the life of it. It's a massive book. It's over a thousand pages. The film is massive. It's three hours and 58 minutes. The book came out in 36, like I said, was wildly successful. She won the Pulitzer Prize the next year in 37. The movie came out in 40, a couple years later. My God. It got 10 awards from 13 nominations at the Oscars. Victor Fleming also directed uh, Wizard of Oz the same year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which did not win the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> but it was just fascinating to me that that is both now like now viewed as like oh it's high it's, you know the, the book sucks whatever and then also back then maybe it's just a, a we could talk about like it's that's a, fascinating it's a, it's a time thing and the fact yeah. that it came out in the 30s and that the movie came out in 40 but like that was a pulitzer prize winning massive book that got was able to be adapted yeah into a film it encompasses a person's you know it's a giant thing and if you'll go with me one step here if you can take in the goldfinch the bombing at the met and mm -hmm. replace that with i think what is obviously the civil the 9 yeah. the 911 attacks yeah. now you have 
a direct correlation between the exact same thing. You have the Civil War and yeah, Gone with yeah. the Wind, uh, and how this massive event affects everybody. Fascinating. It, it's, That's it, fascinating. It's like, the, like what is now being joked about as the worst movie fiscally, also competing with literally the best movie fiscally, <laughs> and they have almost the same track yeah. historically. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. Historically, though, yeah, those are maybe the – maybe Gone with the Wind is the outlier or because it happened so early on in filmmaking. Because like we said, Beloved – when we talked about Toni Morrison won the Pulitzer Prize, did mm-hmm. not do well as a movie, <laughs> right? right? There have been some others, but people are saying, are oh, it odds? can't be done. Yeah. A, long mo- a long book can't be done. A literary, you know, epic can't be done. Well, it did, and it made the most money ever in the history of movie making. Yeah, really. And if you're not looking at adjusted for inflation, you're looking at propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> it's adjusted for inflation, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Tickets were expensive. People were going out there. Yeah, let's be real. They were doing it. Their record keeping was pristine. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of the movie in the book. And as far as like the deep cut of – we try to go into a little bit about, well, who the heck came up with this? Yeah. You know, that I think informs yeah, a lot I, of the I mean, choices I was, that, and a lot of – From the, the 9-11 stuff, then I was started to think about, who, well, who is the author here? You know, mm-hmm. like, what what is the voice here? So I actually don't know anything about – about her. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, and probably I, I, our I'm listeners. have been posing these questions. So, wondering, you know, about what, yeah. about who she is. They don't know. You know most, it's funny because most people don't know anything about her. Though she, and she was on the Time 100 Most Influential People for 2014 like, when what? the Goldfinch won Say the Pulitzer what? Prize. She is known for being sort of secretive, which we'll get to in a second. But she grew up in the South, in Mississippi, went to Ole Miss, then went to a school in Vermont, was a student along with Brett Easton Ellis who became a famous author. Her first book, which was The Secret History, she sold while she was in college, got a half a million dollar advance on it, then spent eight years writing it, and it came out in 92. What? Yeah. What? So like already- life is that? Destined for (laughs) success. So that book came out in 92. Then she had her next book came out in 2002, and that was called The Little Friend. And then- 2013, that was when The Goldfinch came out. So she's only written written three books in 30 years. And that's what she says. That's her speed. You know, that's what she did. She said she's tried to write a book in a year, but it didn't work. It wasn't fun. wasn't good. I appreciate that she's really self-aware. And as far as her, her secretiveness- See, man, I'd her- get like a year and a half in and be like, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Like that she's like, I it works for me when I take a really long time. Yeah. And if somebody's dropping a half a mil on you. If you're eight years in, you're still like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like as far as her secretive thing, it's like, well, she doesn't do publicity and doesn't do interviews and allegedly lives in Manhattan and Virginia. But allegedly. It's like, allegedly. That's all I can find. <laughs> but it's like yeah, because she's only coming out with one thing every 10 years. So, like, what, what is there to talk to her about right. in the nine years that she's not – she's writing. She's yeah. doing the thing. And that's her whole thing. She's like, I am very sociable. I travel all the time. I go places. <laughs> I talk to people. I do stuff. But I just – there's nothing – there's no – I don't have an Instagram. And I, there's no reason for me to keep up with right. people. It's very, very distracting when I'm trying to come up with stuff. I'm trying to do a nine-to-five job every single day. I'll get day. back to you when I have something to uh, share. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, I, 
I never wanted to do that and be the person that's always on the tours and always on this stuff. She's like, it's very concentrated while it lasts and then it goes away. She says, it must be horrifying if you wanted that or if you liked it or wanted to hold on to it. She doesn't, you know, kind of throwing shade at people. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, if that's why you're trying to become an author is because you want to be famous and go on a book tour, then you have to create the churn of overproduction of writing a book a year and being successful. Or like Stephen King, where it's like, he can do nothing but churn out stuff, but he doesn't care about the thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is it pin? Ghost pin. Yeah. But yeah, she, she's writing all the time. She does research through reading. Uh, she said the Las Vegas section was an unlock for her when writing The Goldfinch because she mm-hmm. went on She had to go on a trip to Las Vegas that she didn't want to go to yeah. for some reason. And she was like, oh, this is a perfect part of this yeah. story. And it's like, I wouldn't have put that in there if I hadn't put myself in that situation. Yeah. So she's pulling from all sorts of things. I found that the the terrorist act that she was inspired by specifically was mm-hmm. uh, the Buddhas of Bamyan, which was a like the I didn't even know anything about them, and now they don't exist. It's these giant sandstone, clay, mud thatched statues that are the height of a fifteen story building, or were the height of a fifteen story made in like five hundred CE or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Taliban exploded them, I think, in two thousand two. What? And just completely destroyed them. And now it's just these big openings in the side of these cliffs that have no, that don't have the statues in them anymore. Oh and she saw gosh. this and she was like, yeah, oh, oh, that's just like a terrorist destruction of art. And obviously 9-11 and these sorts of, you know, yeah, modern yeah, yeah. Absolutely. trauma and tragedy on societies and culturally relevant works that can never be brought back and what they mean to people on an individual level. So that I knew nothing about. But that was definitely one of her influences. But yeah, she's all wow. over the place doing stuff, but she's just silent in what the meantime. What do you meantime. need to know? <laughs> like, what do you need to know about what I do until mm-hmm. there's something to share? Yeah. The big question that I saw that people had and was mentioned is, like I said, she has these three books, which is unfortunate that this one, the movie version, did terrible, where people are bashing it or saying it's not amazing and boohoo and never even read the book that it's based on or whatever, is... The question is, why not The Secret History, which was her first book, which was super successful. Right. Silence of the Lambs came out that same year. It was like, we can do a massive book. Yeah. You know, Secret History is a bit, it's got, it's a novel of ideas, as they say. Yeah. What's but there's sex about? and there's sex and drugs and murder. And it's, it's in this mm-hmm. college Greek, not fraternity, but like a Greek club. Okay. And it's almost like a murder in reverse. It's like, it's from the perspective mm-hmm. of somebody who knows who, like, you already know who did it. And then it's putting the pieces together of how it came about. Oh, cool. And she said she wanted to play with that format. So it's got a lot of action and stuff. Weird, because that instantly sounds cinematic. Yeah. Like that sounds, at, uh, yeah, that's a device. So right. why so, wasn't that? Yeah. So the second the book came out in 92, director got the rights going to be made in production. The director dies, I believe, yeah. in a car accident oh or my something gosh. horrible. The rights revert back to the studio. They don't do anything with it. So who was the director again? So it was Alan Pakula, who was known for To Kill a Mockingbird, which was a Pulitzer Prize winning book that then got adapted into an Oscar winning movie. Oh, he, he, did, also he, did did, the, he did the movie? Yeah. Wow. He did All the President's Men. Oh my gosh. And he did Sophie's Choice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so he died in a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Oh my. Reddish things were getting underway. So it went back to the studio and then uh, they waited a little bit. This was in 98. So it's like things are moving along. They want to tie it to something. So then 2002, her second book comes out. Gwyneth Paltrow got the rights oh, to weird. it and was going to do it with people and was getting cool. people involved. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. She was she was making it work though. But then hell yeah, another tragedy. Her dad died that year, and so she was like, "Well, this is another side part. This is another thing, you know, that kind of thing." No, it's cursed. Yeah, and so then now, you know, lining it up with something else Donna's doing or somewhat relevant to that story and what's going on there. But they've now made the Goldfinch, and it did terribly critically and commercially. And so it's like, are they ever going to make the Secret History? Yeah, really. Maybe. When they'll make book every Cormac like, McCarthy movie after yeah. No Country for Old Men, and I mean every Cormac McCarthy novel, yeah. they will make it, son. Yeah, um, but it's it's tough because there's so many different elements that have to line up. You have to get the agent, the good script, the right actors, who's available at the same time, the right studio, the right money, and there's no particular order, but it has to be the right one, you know, at that time. So that's why that is probably never going to happen. But that's I, such she, a shame. Yeah. And she if, did, I did. I just got to say, if you're interested in this book, if you're a fan of this book and have been wondering about seeing this movie, if you've been wondering about seeing this movie at all, maybe give it a second chance. Go yeah. see what everybody else is saying about. You don't have to listen to us, but like, I think that this deserves a second year. Uh, and yeah. uh, it's just unfair. I just want to I just I can't state that enough. If you're at all were ever interested in seeing this, try to get back to that. Try to think maybe. Yeah. Get some other opinions out there because uh, what's happened to this is is really criminal. Or see what the, like we're talking about, what the intent of the book is, how long it is, all that stuff. You know that going into it. Please finish so the book if you started the book. Yeah. <laughs> please, please. Yeah. Or take some time, listen to the audio book, enjoy the experience, absorb the details. I think put, of all the stuff all we've in. covered, this is kind of the one where I'm like, actually, yeah, I could see myself listening to this. Uh, very slowly over the course of a year, and just taking it very nonchalantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm obviously interested in everything we cover, mm-hmm. but uh, I've only got so much to invest in. There's only so many things that I can do. So, but this is like really one where I think thematically, all the pieces of it, the where it sits in the timeline of my life, and like I'm I'm interested in it. Um, and it sounds like the, this material is is more than worth looking into. So I, I I probably will at some point. Yeah. And thank you to Eliza again for yeah, recommending absolutely. to this because we were going to skip over it. We really were. We were going, Matt, wasn't good. What's at, What's coming out? You know, <laughs> what's yeah. up? What's going on? Uh, so thank you. Uh, yeah. You know, the, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad because I would not be sitting here talking about, I probably would not have seen the movie at all. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. And we'll have another 10 years to see what all... Donna comes out with, yeah, <sighs> but good for her, you know. I'm watching. I'm watching my wrist. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think that's it for today. Thanks yeah. for listening. If you wanna, if you're into anything right now, if you're reading something that you're interested in, let us know. If you uh, know of a show coming out or a movie coming out, let us know. If it, what are you into? What yeah. what are you what are you fired up about? We want to know. We're getting we suggestions. Know what's going on. Yeah. This week, this show, this week, this is our first one. This was an audience suggestion, um, and we'd love to do more of it. So, yeah, reach out. Illiterate Pod on Instagram is the best way to go about it. 
Or if you're old-fashioned in email, it's illiterate at email.com. You got the direct link. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk at you next week. Have a good one.